0: Here's your host William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, it's William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily podcast. Today we have Eric on from Challenger, and our topic today is employee employers are asking the wrong questions about return to work. So I can't wait to talk to Eric about it. Uh, Erica, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and Challenger?
1: Sure. Um, my name is Erica Dinner. I'm the Chief People Officer for Challenger, um, and Challenger is the global leader in training, technology, and consulting to win today's complex sales. So we have employees all over the globe, um, and we are working in a hybrid uh, first work environment. So I'm excited to talk about this topic today.
0: Awesome. So tell us tell us about hybrid first. What is that? What is, what is how? I've got this in my head. Yeah. <laughs> on spectrum. Uh, far into the spectrum you have Tesla, everyone has to go back to the office every day. Okay, that, that. And then Airbnb, we don't own offices, everyone's remote. And then everything in the middle is up for grabs. Right. And right. different depending on who you talk to and all that stuff. So when you say hybrid first, what is, for free all what does that mean?
1: Yeah, so for us, it was really taking a look at what we were trying to accomplish in our company, both strategically and our employee experience. And so we started asking the questions, you know, where are people most productive? Are we seeing any gaps anywhere? Do we feel like our performance is where it should be? And we started evaluating, and what we found is, similar to I think where a lot of companies are in this middle space is that we don't really find a one-size-fits-all approach. Some people like being in the office you know, several days to every day um, of the week. And there's some people who say, unless you make me, I'm never going to set a foot in the office again. And so what we decided to do is we are, um, you know, we are mostly, I would say remote, but we have hubs. Um, we're headquartered in Arlington, Virginia, and we do have an office there. Um, we had that office pre-pandemic, so that had already been existing. And then our other two hubs are in Chicago and London, and we work out of co-working spaces there, so we have dedicated space, but it's a lot smaller. Um, people typically aren't in those spaces as often, unless you know their internet goes out or there's a meeting that's happening. And so, the kind of term that we started using for us and how we kind of view hybrid first is intentional interaction. And so, what we found is, regardless of if people were sitting in an office or remote, is that people wanted to have interactions that had value and impact and not just coexisting, um, and sitting next to each other. I don't know when you've been in an office last, but a lot of times it's people with their headphones on. <laughs> so there's right, sitting right. next to each other, but they all have their AirPods in. Right. And so we, we realize that there's a difference between the, the interaction part of work and the work, you know, when you're doing independent work. And so when we look at, in, uh, intentional interaction for us, that looks like you know, we have a purpose and there's value to when we're getting together. And that can be something as casual as a happy hour. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be something always work focused, but what we learned is that people were actually more engaged when they knew that the the activity was going to be valuable and the in-person interaction was going to be valuable. And so for us, it's been uh, very successful and we've had good feedback about it. And it's not to say that of course it wouldn't change at some point or reevaluate, but I think It's interesting because what I've been reading a lot, or, you know, as these topics have come up in the news and we've all seen them pretty much nonstop, is that I think a lot of companies are approaching it as a geography problem, not a productivity problem. Right. And that's where it's interesting is there's such a focus on physicality and geography that I think what's actually getting lost is why don't people want to come back? Well, maybe it's because they're in an open office and it's really distracting, You know, or they may, there's also people that are introverted that don't love being in a, you know, office environment. And so I think the questions have been interesting, especially from the larger companies that the, the assumption is a very traditional model of work in which the physicalness of your job, which used to be the case when we were in factories and doing things that were very physical is, is current today. And it just isn't in my mind because of how we work.
0: I love this phrase, intentional interaction. I love mm-hmm. this, and I will definitely use this elsewhere. So just, mm-hmm. just, just yeah, FYI. Take it, take
1: it, take it. Take <laughs> it. I might
0: trademark it, so just you
1: know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't be surprised. On <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to ask about is, uh, especially with as it relates to intentional interaction, is around soft skills. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is something I've heard uh, about people that, that are kind of, pushing a return to work i absolutely agree that it's done either out of command and control i want to see you work you know see you in the office that it could be something nefarious like that but it also could be this is the way it was in 2019 and we want to go back to the way it was hearkening back to i don't think it was great then but all right so hearkening back to that and getting the team back together but I, i love the way that you've said okay there's times in which if you're intentional, again, it could be about business, it could be about getting together socially, et cetera, but intentional about the interaction. This this idea around soft skills is actually something I've heard a lot of CEOs talk about. The reason they want people back in the office is for some of these things, but they've wrapped it around soft skills like uh, you know brainstorming and collaboration and some of the stuff that you can do on Zoom or a conference technology, but it's better to be in a room. It's, it's just, it's for them, I guess it's better to be in the room. So what's your take on like intentional interaction? Totally get it and love it. Yeah. What do you think the tethering or if there is any tethering to soft skills and soft skills development
1: yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a great point. And where I really see this having the most impact is the newest entrance into the workforce. Mm. And, and, you know, I think a lot of us have worked in offices and you, you, we might be overlooking the fact that we learned a lot from osmosis in, in early career. So I do think when I look at the spectrum of people in the stages of careers, the the new entrance, it, it you know, it's kind of to be seen, how does it affect um, soft skills? I think in my mind, I actually think it's interesting because if you think of soft skills, think of a you know a new entrant to the workforce, you know digital native, probably beyond right. living on tech. That to me actually, I have a lot of people who are further in their career who don't have what I would call the soft skills for you know right. tech etiquette. Right. Or how do you, um, you know, effectively coordinate a, re- a remote meeting? And so, I think when 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 I hear you say the soft skills, I think it's the in person soft skills, and I do agree that, you know, the interactions in person. I just don't think that the way that the work is the workforce is going that sitting in an office with people in their headphones is gonna get you to that place. But having those interactions with value, yes, I do think those are important. And I think there is also an element that we look at with teams with psychological safety is you can develop psychological safety You know, virtually. Mm-hmm. It's certainly the research has shown, and I'm sure there's gonna be a explosion of research on this. This was pre-pandemic that I, that I looked at this research, but the research has shown that in-person interaction is really still the best for building some of that psychological safety, which we know turns into productive and effective teams. And so that's where I think, you know, we have to kind of look to managers and and team leaders and department heads of understanding what, who their team is and what work they're doing and helping to structure those intentional interactions around that. So if you have a team of really young um, people and I'll give you a good example in our company, like entry level sales folks that we call it SDRs or you know BDAs. Right, we know that it actually does help them to be together. So they're actually together in intentional interactions more than an experienced salesperson. And so that's where I think that it becomes a little bit more curated in how you approach the work based on who your team is made up of. If your team is all you know, mid, mid to late career. They kind of understand everything. They know etiquette. They have the soft skills. Like you, you may not need to get together as much, or you may not need to create as many intentional interactions. Um, but I do think it'll be interesting. You know, I I was at our co working space probably, gosh, this was three or four months ago. And there was a group of <laughs> very young employees they were thrilled to be in an office. I mean, one, one of the, the employees, it was for a different company, it wasn't our company, but he, he was so excited. He packed his lunch. He said, I brought my allergy medicine. I mean, they were so excited because they'd never experienced it. And so I guess if you have a team of really young workers, it may make sense to have more of those, those
0: interactions. Well, I, I read research just uh, a couple months ago about college grads. And um, it was the, the stat was like 86% of them want to go to an office. Yeah, and and for all the reasons that you stayed, it's like we forget, uh, especially as as you get older, you forget that that's where you built a lot of your social network, a lot of your you know, your friends and people that you would go out and all of that stuff. That's that's how I mean that's actually how you built that, like it didn't right. good and bad. But that's <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's how you built that, and so I, I think there's something to be said. And again, you're talking if you talk to somebody you know, not to generalize, but in their forties and fifties, there might be a reluctance because they've got kids, they've got all this other stuff. They just see the word commute and want to vomit. And it's like, they don't want to go to the office, not because of the work, but because they don't see it as, as their place to thrive. Right. And I think the way that you solved it, the algebra, the way that you've solved it is really, really nice in, in terms of, okay, where, where do you thrive? Fantastic. That's great. Good. We're going to have these moments, these carefully curated, as I believe the way you phrased it, is these moments where we're intentionally getting together and having some interaction. And right. uh, who decides that? So you know, when you were talking about the SDRs, It makes sense. First of all, check. Uh, And also just being in a box and being learning from one another, what's working, what's not working, you know, that type of stuff. Like I can see that being super successful. But when we, when we talk about these, these moments of these intentional interactions, who's deciding that who's, who's making that decision.
1: Yeah, so it typically is, um, so I'll say, obviously, like our leadership team has sort of input of the general philosophy, but do is we look to the leaders and the managers of those teams. And I think this is where some of the big companies, they are afraid to give up some of that control to leaders and managers. Mm. And those are the people who are in the day-to-day, who know what the work looks like and know what they need. And so we try to, and I know it's a cheesy word, but we try to empower our leaders Of what does it look like for you to have intentional interaction? What does your team structure look like? Are they mid-career, early career? And we just have a lot of conversations. Now, we're we're probably on a little bit of the smaller side, so maybe a little bit easier for us in a larger company, but I think that's where a lot of these big companies are just skipping that altogether. They're just like, we're going to, here we go. This is the easiest, or this is the most that, you know, quote unquote control that we can have. So I just had a conversation, you know, with a sales leader today saying, okay, I think we might need to be in a little bit more for intentional interactions with, you know, we're, we're seeing some maybe a gap here, or we need to improve a little bit here. And so it's really a constant conversation of what do you need from your team to be successful? What do they need to be successful? And then they pretty much have the latitude to, to, um, you know, curate those interactions as, as they want. Now, with that said, we certainly have some overlay of the company thing. So in September, for example, we'll have the whole company together um, for a company meeting. We, oh, cool. do, um, we do little, you know, events when we go to the different hubs. Um, and so we do have some kind of larger things, but in terms of the, the who makes it on the day-to-day for their teams, it's the leaders and their managers. And, you know, my, my response back to some of the companies that are not sure if they want to relinquish that control, I would say, well, then you might want to question how you're coaching and managing your managers. Yeah, you
0: know, if, yeah. If you you're can, you're yeah. going to relinquish that control whether or not you like it or not. Right. <laughs> right. Control yeah. is a figment of your imagination. Right, right. <laughs> it's it's uh it's interesting the the and I, and I don't know if I've got the phraseology right, but this uh, you've got a kind of a relentless pursuit of productivity and satisfaction and happiness. You know what I mean? Like it's not just productivity okay. uh, because that's important to then make sure that, okay, where are the gaps? As you've mentioned a couple of times, like where, where are we missing? Okay. And so we constantly are monitoring where we're missing so that we can kind of calibrate is a is kind of a neat, neat word to kind of play with there. So how constant calibration, but it's not just about productivity. It's at least as I'm hearing it, it's yeah. also about their happiness or, their satisfaction or or where they're where they get their best work done, et cetera, which if I've got that right, is an immense flexibility.
1: Yes. And I think that is, you know, it's it this is where now, unless you're in an industry, and I will say there are some industry caveats like you know, again, when you look at interactions, like probably creative has to or would make sense to be in, in person more. Or, you know, if you're in an industry where there's really sp- um, strict time zone control, we're lucky in that we don't necessarily have. Right. That. Right. And so I would say, you know, we are very um, clear. And again, with our managers and our leaders and our employees that, you know, you do the work and that's best for you, as long as you have aligned with your team on that's how you do your work best. And so, for example, what I found and we started kind of keeping track during, you know, as when, once um, the pandemic started is that people were logging on earlier and logging off later mm-hmm. and because they didn't have a commute. Well, we did some math and realized people were adding, they were adding about eight hours a day oh, by yeah. not having a commute. And we weren't asking for that. People were doing it. So we actually took the initiative and we said, we are going to have, and some companies you've probably heard of been doing this, like we have summer Fridays and flex Fridays. And That's so right. no That's internal right. meetings, you know, and now every now and then there's there's kind of generally no internal meetings. And what I got a lot of questions like, oh, aren't you afraid that employees aren't being productive? No. They, they, they're working what they need to get done in their work. And honestly, I want to reward efficiency. If you if, get everything done, I don't it, care if, if you, you want know, to walk it, off.
0: it does beg the question, and uh, I won't do the really inappropriate Sam Kimson part of this joke, but um, <laughs> the if you don't trust your employees, why are they employed?
1: Right. right. That's
0: exactly right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's so, exactly. on some level, like you've, you've you know, not to, not to say you blame somebody, but it's at one point, if you really just don't trust somebody that much, um, then, then why why are they there outside of just a, a body, uh, you know, in a chair, etc.? Yeah. This is going to sound jaded, but I love the way that you you framed up the geography. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, people that are in this area. Okay, that makes sense. I think some of it also comes down to pay. That the you know this location based pay. Mm-hmm. I don't think comp. Uh, I don't think comp has answers. I don't think any of us have answers about. How do we pay people in terms of, okay, you're working in Montana and uh, you're working in San Francisco. Uh, you're both doing the exact same job, director of gen- demand generation, doing the exact same job, exact, exact same uh, experience, et cetera. We're going to pay you different because of where you live. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, so now people have, there's all kinds of like models of, okay, we're going to decrease this pay. And, or we're going to keep it the same and you know the other end of the spectrum is like okay it doesn't really matter you know we'll take the higher and if you're living in montana well you just make more money well it's, you know we'll take cost of living out of the equation which yeah. is fascinating and also terrifying at the same time yeah. um but the the jaded part of me <laughs> thinks that there was an overinvestment in office space
1: Oh, 100%.
0: <laughs> <laughs> with long contracts,
1: yes. you
0: know, the leases, if you will. And, uh, and and you know, the CFO, uh, I'm just going to blame that person uh, just for giggles, uh, yeah. is looking down and literally at the balance sheet and looking at this large expenditure and they're not getting anything from the large expenditure. Right. So that's the jaded side of me. Do you see so, it, uh, I, so, it's so funny.
1: Yeah. I, it's so funny. I'm sitting here looking at the Chicago skyline and I think about that all the time because there's a ton of, you know, I see the Boeing building, Boeing Mm -hmm. just left Chicago. Like I sit here and I look at all these buildings. I think, yes, I do think that there is a justification, especially for larger companies, right? Like larger companies that have such real estate investments. Like I understand it. I guess my thought on that is if it's already generally a sunk cost. Yes. And so do you want to put good money after bad by then also jeopardizing your talent, also jeopardizing, you know, the, the workforce and your productivity? So we kind of view it as, and look, we look at our space too. Um, now we have in, in Chicago and London more co-working spaces. So those are more flexible, but we do look at our office space. I mean, our view is, yeah, is it fairly empty right now? Yes, but it's a cost that we have and we don't necessarily see the value in, in, Forcing everybody to come back just to justify costs that we're going to have regardless. Um, And so I think that, but I do agree that that is part of this push is, you know, there, there was, and it's just so ingrained in how we think As Americans that we work. It's just the office is such a, it is hard to separate the office from work for a lot of people. And I think that there's some fundamental assumptions that go into that, that just probably aren't accurate anymore, but that it's just part of the culture and the norm of how these companies are working, that it's just difficult to separate. Well, I'll go,
0: I'll go, I'll go again, Jaded, because that's my temperament. I think a lot of this comes out of uh, manufacturing, the Industrial Revolution, World War II, command and control, a lot of white male dominated culture, if you will, is I got to see you work in, in order to believe that you're working. And I think as that ages out, and again, because of COVID, it's sped up a lot of these other things, like one of the yeah silver linings of covid is we've learned yeah you can do a lot of these jobs well, you know again knowledge worker jobs you can do a lot of these works this this work from anywhere in the world like right. you don't have to unless you want to go like again now it's like the power of the employee it's like where do you want to do this work if you want to come in the office a couple of days a week or come in a couple of days a month whatever where do you do your best work but i i i think a lot of this is as as those folks age out as those leaders age out i think new models and i think again because of covid it's sped a lot of this stuff up but i'll tell you you've you've given you've, you've given a larger companies an out and i want to i'm not calling you on it of course but <laughs> but i i think it's it's a, i think it could be a cop out for them well, it's a larger company, it's more complex, it's difficult, blah, 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 blah. I think it comes down to, as you said, intentionality. Is this a part of your culture? Is this a part of who you want to be? It doesn't matter if you have 80,000 employees.
1: Right. Well, and I will say, you know, to your point about kind of who's in the high leadership positions right now is if you look back, you know, to when those individuals, mostly white men, were starting their jobs it was sort of predicated on the fact that there was an, another person at home. You know, yeah. Oh, Hundred percent And so when we yeah. look at the shift from X to millennial and and, and you know, next will be Z, is that that household looks really different. Hundred percent. The assumption that somebody is, you know, at home doing all of the other tasks while you get to work a forty-hour week in right. a physical location is not necessarily the, the obviously the norm anymore. And but I think that that, like you said, it is intentionality, and it's so ingrained in some of the the assumptions that are made about the workforce. Is why can't you be here for forty hours, or why yeah. why do you need that flexibility? And there's like a missing link there of it, it's just a you know, it's very different. And and a lot of two, you know, income families and, mm-hmm. and working and activities, and there's just so much more, I think, or at least it seems, that is happening with both parties and there isn't somebody kind of taking care of that, which was some of the assumptions of um of those individuals. And I've also read a lot about, I don't know if you've seen um, you know, sort of the access, inclusion, equity part of. Mm-hmm of remote work. And I've read some really fascinating, like opinion pieces of like, you know, thank goodness. I don't have to go in the office. Cause I don't get all these microaggressions. And it's right. just a really interesting thing that, that, you know, unfortunately didn't pop to my mind right away, but I've seen a lot more come up and it's something that I, I just thought, gosh, I didn't even think of it from that angle. What and a lot of people do? are saying, I love it. Cause I can, don't have to worry about spending energy on some of that as part right. of my day, it's unfortunate, but I think it's a reality.
0: Yeah, and and you've opened up the aperture. Again, you know, this is one of the beauties for for knowledge workers. You've opened up the aperture of you anywhere in the world, which means now, again, not everyone has the internet. Okay, so there are some 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 areas that we have to work on, but you can work with somebody in Paris. That you know, there's some time zone stuff to to work out. But other than that, if they have the skill set and you have the desire for that skill set, there's really nothing in the way. I mean, you can get them paid, you can get benefits, you can do all that stuff now. Uh, so um, yeah. I think one of the things is as we kind of tighten up the or, or end this part is when we talk about the asking the wrong questions, I think they're also not doing the math in terms of forcing people to work mm-hmm. a certain way and, yeah. and the cost of uh, attraction, retention, and training.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, if there's one thing that I could do, like have a magic wand, it would be a budget line item for disengagement and the cost of that. And it is something that it is so difficult to, especially to, you know, and I've I've actually been like, I've worked with some really great CFOs, so I haven't struggled as much, but there is such a struggle in a cost that doesn't show up on a budget. Yep. And it, it's like, you know, a lot of talent leaders and people leaders, we know it, we feel it, we can tell you, but it is really difficult. And there's some, you know, there's some calculators, ways you can, but it's just, you can't really get to the true number of it. And that is one thing, if I had a magic wand, I think would would just change the entire conversation because it adds, you know, something concrete to, I think is one of the biggest forces in the, in the workplace that just kind of gets ignored in terms of engagement, disengagement, um, productivity. And it's, it's, you know, hopefully we can catch up to that. I think just as an industry, but that, that is something that I think is overlooked and it is detrimental and people do not, you know, leaders don't realize it until it's too late. That's right. So, they they just they can't see it until they're not meeting their strategic strategic objectives, and then you know they can't find employees and they can't get their company to be successful. And it's like that's a long time coming. And it's just a lot of leaders can't wrap their head around what that actually costs a business.
0: And again, being dark, um, I'm not sure. Uh, it's not just that we can't. I'm not sure they want to do that math
1: mm-hmm. yeah. because
0: I, I th- not that they're lazy. It's just they 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 have a model in mind of how work should be, and 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 it's almost like you do it this way or you know do it somewhere else, which again when there's a surplus of talent, this perception of a faucet you know you just turn on the faucet and talent shows up. Um, the interesting thing about millennials and Gen Z for me is they're. Unwilling general, general statements for both generations, mm-hmm. they're unwilling to work like that. <laughs> so, yeah. so,
1: and guess you, what? They're becoming leaders really quick, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah, up. which is yeah. great
0: because yeah. they're also helping shape what will come after that, which is fantastic. And more flexibility. I mean, my, I remember my mom talking about flexibility at, with the IRS when she worked for the IRS in the 70s, and it's like, this isn't a new concept, no. we've 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 been talking about flexibility but because of covid we were forced into this really super flexible really fast and super flexible environment hyper flexible environment and thank goodness for it
1: right yeah and i think that that's one of the things um that i i don't hear talked about as much and i'll be very curious if there's research that comes out you know in the in the years to come on this is that it, it's not just about productivity. I think there's a piece of resilience in mm. having to look how quickly everybody was able to adapt to the change of remote work. Yet, when we make little change in the workforce, everybody says, "Oh, it's a change! It's a change!" And it was, you know, why it was adapted so quickly because it, there was a huge business need, and That's it was, right. it, and there was rationale. And so, I think that was a great example of if you are looking at the business need, there's urgency to it, and you can make that change. Like, look how quickly our workforce entirely changed for the next, you know, 15 to 20 years. I mean, it oh, looks like yeah. nothing no. like I And, and so, again, that's
0: large yeah. companies as well. That was Google, that was right. Apple, that was Walmart, that was Amazon. They, they made those switches as well. So right. it's, it's almost like the desire. Do you want to change, you know, in the future of work? Do you actually want to change the way that you work that fits a kind of more employee and candidate driven environment? And, and I think the people that win are those that say,
1: yeah. Right. So yeah. this yeah.
0: has been fantastic. I know you got to get on to your next thing, but Erica, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed our conversation and have a great rest of the day.
0: You too. And thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by
1: Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.